Welcome to the Realizing Romans class, where we're in Romans chapter 8 today. So uh, we'll start out with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I kind of feel and sense uh, a spirit of heaviness, a spirit of um, where just things seemed a little wonky, seem, things seem a little confused. And so, Lord, if the enemy is trying to infiltrate in any way, shape, or form, we call him out in the name of Yeshua. We recognize, renounce, and rebuke him and command him to leave in Yeshua's name and ask that your Holy Spirit would come in its place and bring us uh, clarity of heart and clarity of mind as we study your word. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we ask these things in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. All right, so Romans chapter 8 begins with therefore. So we always have to ask ourselves when we see therefore, why is the therefore therefore? So whenever you see that, it's usually referring to something that had already been discussed. So in the first, uh, the last two chapters, uh, the Apostle Paul is discussing about the Yetzer Hara, or the evil inclination, and the Yetzer Tov, the good inclination, and the battle that occurs between those two things. So it's the old fleshly man and the new regenerated man that are at war with each other. There's a big discussion on that. And he's concluding it in chapter 8 by saying, therefore. So Romans 8.1 sums up chapter 7. And um, Paul's letter to this point points out how one can avoid God's wrath. So in verse 1 it says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus or Messiah Yeshua. So I want to point this out. Uh, and I said this before, but as believers, we've got to recognize that there's a difference between conviction and condemnation. Conviction's a good thing. We usually think conviction is a bad thing because when somebody's convicted, they're convicted of a crime. But conviction, in a spiritual sense, makes us remorseful and feel bad about a particular sin that we committed or were involved in. And that conviction leads us to repentance. We feel remorseful, we feel sorry, therefore we you know, repent to God and ask God to forgive us of our sins. That's a good thing. But oftentimes once we ask for forgiveness, somehow we don't quite believe that we're forgiven because we end up still beating ourselves up over it. But you got to believe that you're forgiven if you've sincerely asked for forgiveness. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if we're sincere in our repentance, God's going to forgive us. Now, if we feel what we think is conviction after that point, that's not conviction. That's condemnation. Anything that you feel that beats yourself up after you've already repented is condemnation. And condemnation doesn't come from God as conviction does. It comes from the devil because Satan wants to continue to condemn us. In the scripture, he's called the accuser of the brethren. So whenever you feel condemnation... You have to think to yourself, no, 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 I already asked for forgiveness. God's forgiven me, so I refuse to feel bad about this. And we just rebuke the enemy and command him to leave. So that's why it says, therefore, there is now no condemnation. We're no longer condemned if we're in Messiah Yeshua. So Paul's conclusion from chapters 1 through 7 is not that the law is dead, but that there is no longer any spiritual death sentence um, you know, for certain sins. Because in the Levitical sacrificial system, there was virtually a sacrifice for virtually every sin, with the exception of a few. 
So there was murder, there was kidnapping, uh, there was rape. Uh, in, in certain circumstances of rape, they were death penalty sentences. So somebody couldn't say, oh, gee, I made a mistake, or oh, gee, I'm sorry, I repent, I'm going to bring a sacrifice and everything's going to be okay. There was no sacrifice provision for those sins. But in Messiah Yeshua, there is. So when somebody was condemned to death because there was no sacrifice to cover it, you know, Yeshua, he covered that sacrifice in a spiritual sense so that we can be forgiven of the sin of murder and kidnapping and uh, certain circumstances of rape. But nonetheless, a person still may have to deal with the physical consequences of those sins, which might be a life sentence, which might be, you know, death row, what have you. Okay, so um, the question for verse 1 I'd like to ask is, why is there no condemnation in Messiah Yeshua? And what condemnation is being talked about here? So the answer to both is the, uh, condemnation, the condemnation of breaking God's laws. Now, yes, Torah does mean law, but we've got to look at that word Torah in a broader scope and realize that the primary translation for the word Torah is instructions. So Torah is always talking about God's instructions, and God's instructions are for our benefit, are for our good. So there's no longer any condemnation within Messiah Yeshua for breaking God's laws or disregarding his instructions because we accept Yeshua's righteousness on our behalf. So it's kind of like Yeshua is a lead container. If you put something in a lead container and run that through an x-ray machine, are you going to be able to see what's in that container? No, because lead negates the effects of x-rays. So it's almost as if Yeshua is like a lead box and we're put inside him. And therefore, you know, when God sees us, he no longer sees our sin because we're covered by Yeshua. You know, God's x-ray sees through everything except for Yeshua because when we're covered by Yeshua and we're in Yeshua, you know, our sin is no longer visible. It's, it's, it's negated uh, by Yeshua. So it's like Yeshua is the lead container that we put ourselves in um, that x-rays can't penetrate. So God no longer sees our unrighteousness and condemns us, but sees God's righteousness uh, superimposed upon us instead uh, because we are covered in and by him. All right, verse 2. For the law of the Spirit, or for the, for the law of the Spirit of life in Messiah Yeshua has set you free from the law of sin and death. All right, so the law of the Spirit. A lot of people like to hone in on the spirit of the law and just disregard the letter of the law. You can't have one without the other. And people say, oh, well, all sins are the same. No, I mean, all sin is sin. But there are degrees of, of sin. <laughs> um, some sins are called abominations, which is much worse than a runabout, regular, normal sin that everybody commits because we're fallen creatures. Now, spirit of the law, let me ask you, is it worse to kill somebody in real life or to kill somebody in your heart? Both of them are bad, but which one's worse? Killing them in real life. You know, because you're using your imagination to kill somebody. They're still physically living. Even though you're committing murder in your heart, it's not as bad as committing physical murder. So this, you know, um, and then that's how some people can get away with keeping the law, but yet breaking it at the same time. You know, so I may not murder people physically, but if I hate them in my heart, I'm breaking the spirit of the law. But obeying the letter of the law at the same time. Uh, so, okay. 
So murder is um, so important that the letter of the law does not is not diminished because that's worse than breaking the spirit of the law in that sense. All right, so let's read verses 2 through 4. For the law of the spirit of the life in Messiah Yeshua has set you free from the law of sin and death. So the law of sin and death, it's kind of like gravity. If I jump off the roof of Harvest House, unless I have a parachute or a hang glider, there's nothing going to stop me from hitting bottom, and I'm probably going to break my legs, maybe even kill myself, because the law of gravity is in effect. So the law of sin and death is when you sin, you're cursed, you won't be blessed, and it leads to death. So that's kind of the law of sin and death. Verse 3, For what was impossible for the Torah, since it was weakened on account of the flesh, God has done, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as a sin offering, he condemned sin in the flesh, so that the requirement of the Torah might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Ruach, according to the Spirit. So the Torah provided no atoning sacrifice for death penalty sins like murder, kidnapping, adultery. So the Levitical sacrificial system um, is grace, but Hebrew tells us that Messiah uh, sacrifice is better and is more because it covers those sins that the Levitical sacrificial system didn't cover. So Yeshua's sacrificial death atones for things the Levitical sacrificial system could not. Forgiving one spiritually for death penalty offenses, though one may still have to physically pay for such offenses. If we accept Yeshua's finished work on the cross, we died and have been reborn so that the death penalty no longer applies to us because we are a new person. So, all right. Verse 4, so that the requirement of the Torah might be fulfilled in us who do, not who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So God is holy. His holiness demands judgment. So when, when Adam and Eve sinned, that sin nature was, was spiritually and genetically passed down to us. So we're already condemned because of our parents, Adam and Eve. But there's nothing that we can do to pay for you know, the penalty of that crime. Uh, it, it's, it's like me racking up a speeding ticket and I'm busted at the bank. You know, my account's in the red. I can't pay for that, so I'm probably going to have to spend some jail time. But yet somebody who has the money stands up in my place and says, excuse me, judge, this guy has been, yeah, he's guilty of speeding. Yes, he, he has a fine. He can't pay it. Let me pay it and let the guy go. The judge is like, okay, that's what the law requires. I don't care who pays it as long as the fine is paid. It doesn't matter if he pays it or you pay it, as long as it's paid. So the guy pays the fine on my behalf, and I get to walk scot-free. That's what Yeshua did for us. We had a penalty, a fine that we could not in and of ourselves pay. So Yeshua stepped up and said, okay, God, I know these people did you wrong. I know that they're condemned to death, and they're imperfect, so they can't pay for this penalty so let me pay it because I am perfect. So, okay. Now, um, here's a question. Is the law, the Torah, flesh or spirit? According to Romans 7.14, it's spirit. For we know that the Torah is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold to sin. That's kind of an interesting point there too. 
So Romans 7, 1 through 6, talks about us being freed by the Torah, but not freed from the Torah. Or do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I speak to those who know law, that the law is master over a person as long as he lives. For the married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law concerning her husband. So then, if she is joined to another man while her husband is living, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law, so she is not an adulteress, though she is joined to another man. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you also were made dead to the Torah through the body of Messiah, so that you might be joined to another, the one who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions came through the Torah were working in our body parts to bear fruit of death. But now we have been released from the law, having died to what confined us, so that we serve in a new way of the spirit, of the Ruach, and not an old way according to the letter. All right, so let's go back to Romans 8.5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Ruach, the spirit, set their minds on things of the Ruach, things of the Spirit. So our flesh, it satisfies the sinful nature, therefore satisfying the Yetzer Hara, the evil inclination. The Spirit satisfies God's desires, and therefore it satisfies the good inclination, the Yetzer Tov. So God's laws are our roadmap that assists the Yetzer Tov, the good inclination, and dissuades the Yetzer Hara. Because there's blessing in obeying God's instructions, so the Yetzer Tov, the good inclination, is more apt to keep God's instruction because of the rewards. And the Yetzer Hara is dissuaded from breaking God's instructions or going against God's laws because there's a curse and a death penalty attached to that. Um, I did kind of skip something on verse 3, so let's go back to verse 3 really quick. For what was impossible for the Torah... Since it was weakened on account of the flesh, God has done, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as a sin offering, he condemned sin in the flesh. So in my notes, Messiah came in flesh, but never gave in to it. He was, um, he was tempted in all points as we are, but without sin, according to Hebrews uh, 4.15. So the law has no power to change human nature, but Yeshua's spirit does. Through his spirit, we fight the Yetzer Hara, or the evil inclination, because 1 John 4, 4 says, Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. All right, going back to verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their mind on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit, the Ruach, set their minds on things of the Ruach. And for that verse, I kind of want to refer to Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. It says, Therefore, if you have been raised up in Messiah, keep seeking the things above where Messiah is, sitting at the right hand of God. Focus your mind on things above and not on things of this earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Messiah in God. Kind of like that lead box I talked about. When Messiah, who is your life, so it's interesting that it says this, Messiah, who is your life. So we know that Yeshua the Messiah is the living manifestation of the written Torah. 
It's interesting that Moses in Deuteronomy, he called the Torah, or God actually told Moses, he says this law, this Torah, this word, is your life. So it's interesting that the Torah was called life. And here in Colossians chapter 3, the Messiah is called life. They're one and the same. You know, they're, they're two sides of the same coin. The, the written word and the living word. When Messiah, who is your life, is revealed, then you will also be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, put to death what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, for that is idolatry. So all those things mentioned are idolatry. I mean, you don't have to bow down to a Buddha or Vishnu or, you know, any other Dagon or Molech to be worshiping an idol. Whatever you put before God is an idol. So if you put your sexual cravings, your lusts, your desires, your greed before God, that is an idol. Verse 6, because of such things, God's wrath is coming upon the sons of disobedience. At one time, you also walked in these ways, when you used to live in these ways, but now set them all aside. Anger, rage, malice, slander, foul language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another. After all, you have been taken, you have taken the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. So here's the old self, new self. Yetzer hara, yetzer tov. So the yetzer hara is the old self, yetzer tov is the new self. That is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. Here there is no longer Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, savage, slave or free, but Messiah is all and in all. So in Messiah, we're all on an equal level playing field, regardless of our gender, economic status, or our um, genealogy. All right, moving on to verses 6 through 8. For the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the Ruach, or the spirit, is life and shalom, life and peace. For the mindset of the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not submit itself to the law of God, for it cannot. So those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So disobedience equals death, obedience equals life. Blessing for obedience, a curse for disobedience. We read all about that in Deuteronomy chapter 28, where it goes into great detail of the blessings that will... Basically, the Hebrew says that these blessings will tackle you. They'll overtake you, you know, if you obey God's word. If you disobey God's word, equally, the curses will tackle you and overtake you. So, you know, do you want to be tackled by puppies or a linebacker? <laughs> Right, you know, I mean, blessings are like puppies, you know, it's, it's always cute to have a whole bunch of puppies tackle you and they're licking you in the face and you just feel so good. That's like God's blessings for obeying his word. But yet, it's kind of painful being tackled by a linebacker. You get tackled from behind, your back's out of joint, you broke a couple bones and you're, you're crushed. And that's the way that, uh, you know, curses and sin is. Uh, they, they tackle and overtake you. All right. We can be free from the curse of the second death. But not always natural consequences for sin. So even though that we can be forgiven for those death penalty offenses that are found in the Mosaic Law, we still may have to deal with the physical consequences, whether it be fines, jail time, execution, what have you. And that's the same you know, with God's laws in regarding uh, what we do. 
You know, God said, these things are good for you to eat. If you eat those, you know, I'll put none of the diseases that I put upon the Egyptians. But if you eat these other things that aren't even classified as food, you're going to get sick and have to deal with the consequences of being sick. That's just that's just the way God's uh, word and God's law is set up. All right. Uh, there's a verse that I wanted to read in Philippians 2.5. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Messiah Yeshua. So talking about setting our mind on things above and having our mind being transformed by Christ. That's also talked about in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto him, which is your reasonable act of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but transformed by the image, uh, by the renewing of your mind. So when it says not to be conformed to this world, the Greek is talking about like a mold. So when I used to play with Play-Doh when I was a little kid, I liked those little plastic molds, and you can make things really easy because the, the dough just fit and conform to whatever mold you were putting it in. And we're not to be like that with the world. We're not to be Play-Doh with the world. We're to be as hard as diamond when it comes to the world. We need instead to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, and that can only be in Christ. All right, verse 9. Uh, let's see. Okay, here it is. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Ruach, in the spirit. If indeed the Ruach Elohim, that is the spirit of God, dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit or the Ruach of Messiah, he does not belong to him. So, the first part of that says, however, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. Now, why are we not in the flesh, but in the spirit? Because we died to our flesh. We died to ourselves. Galatians 2.20, we have been crucified with Christ. So when we're crucified with Christ, the old man dies, and then we're born again, and it's our spirit man comes alive. All right, the second part of that says, now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Messiah, he does not belong to him. So the Holy Spirit is like our receipt or proof of purchase of salvation. That's kind of like, like how that is. So the, Spirit, the Holy Spirit is like the seal or the proof uh, of purchase for our salvation. And when we're in the Spirit, we're going to do things according to the Spirit. All right, so the Holy Spirit... Equated with the Messiah and the Spirit of God, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, then you don't have the Messiah. So, the Holy Spirit is not something that just kind of comes later when you get saved. You know, a lot of people say, oh, you get saved, and there are certain denominations say, well, you get saved, but, you know, you're still in danger of hell if you don't speak in tongues. Now, speaking in tongues, that's the proof of the Holy Spirit. No, the tongues is the least of all gifts. Paul says, I encourage it. I wish everybody spoke in tongues, but it's not that important in the list of spiritual gifts. It's the least of all gifts. You know, so that's not necessarily the proof that, you know, you have the Holy Spirit within you if you can speak in tongues. That's, you know, other denominations want to say that, but that's not a requirement for salvation. Okay. Moving on to verses 10 and 11. But if Messiah is in you, through the though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the Ruach, the spirit of the one who raised Yeshua from the dead, dwells in you, 
then one who raised Messiah, or yeah, the one who raised Messiah Yeshua from the dead will also give life to your mortal body through his Ruach, through his spirit who dwells in you. So that's an amazing thing to think about that we probably really don't think about. That when we get saved, that same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, that exact same spirit lives in us now. That's something that blows my mind and we don't really think about it. When we think of being saved, we think, oh, I got to get out of hell free card and we're happy because our, our eternity is secured. But yet, that's, he just didn't save us from hell. He saved us so we can continue the work of Messiah because we are his ambassadors. We are his apostles, so to speak. Apostles just means ones who are sent out. And so when Yeshua left, he gave the Great Commission. He says, all authority is given unto me in heaven and earth. Therefore, you know, preach the gospel, baptizing people in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Ghost. I'm with you always. So he told us to reach the world. But we can't reach the world in and of ourselves unless we have the Spirit of God dwelling in us. That gives us the ability and the power to fulfill that great commission, to do God's work, to you know, heal the sick, raise the dead, you know, teach and preach the gospel, lead people to salvation. So that same life-giving Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is living in us now that we are saved. Uh, okay, so verses 10 and 11 we're still under the Edemic curse physically. In other words, we're still physically going to die, but no longer spiritually. Spiritually, we're alive, and spiritually, we're not going to experience the second death, which is eternity in hell. Uh, but eventually, even that Edemic curse is going to be overturned because we have that promise of the resurrection. So if if we die before Christ returns, when Christ returns, we're going to be resurrected from the dead. And if we're still alive when he returns, we're going to be transfigured. We're going to be transformed. And so when we're resurrected, what kind of bodies are we going to have? Well, spiritual, I see what you're saying, but did, I mean, was when Jesus raised from the dead, was he a ghost? No, no. Did he have a physical body that you can touch? Yeah. He, he proved it. He said, look, he said, I know I'm not a ghost. He says, here, touch me. Put your hands in my nail prints and in my side. I'll prove it to you. Give me something to eat. So the body that Jesus resurrected with was a physical body. We're going to have a physical body. But what was Yeshua able to do with that physical body? He could, he could travel at the speed of thought. He could walk through walls. It's, it blows my mind. I don't understand it. But Yeshua bought our salvation. And the scripture says that we are joint heirs or co-heirs with Christ Jesus. So whatever Jesus was privy to after the resurrection, we're privy to as well. So we're going to have a, re a resurrected body one day, similar to the one that Yeshua was raised with. Not only that, but Yeshua is king of the universe. And it says in the scripture that one day that we will judge angels. We will rule and reign with him because we are a co-heir with Christ Jesus. Whatever he inherited, we as believers inherit too. So verses 10 and 11 talks about uh, being born again. And we know all about that with the well-known verse of John 3, 16. We know Jesus uh, was having this meeting with Nicodemus. And he says, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of heaven. And he was confused. He goes, well, how can I crawl back into my mother's womb and be born again? Because you don't get it. He says, you're a teacher in Israel and you don't understand this principle. You've got to be born again, the King James says. But the Greek says, you've got to be born from above. So your spirit man has to come alive. Your old man has to die. Your spirit man has to come alive. Okay, moving on to verses 12 uh, through 17. 
So then, brothers and sisters, we do not owe anything to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Ruach, the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you shall live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God, the Ruach Elohim, these are the sons of God. Now it's interesting because in the Old Testament, sons of God only referred to the angels. But in the New Testament era, after Yeshua rose from the dead, that title has also been given to us as well. So every time you read sons of God in the Old Testament, knowing that, know that it's talking about angels. When you read about it in the New Testament, know that it's talking about us as believers in Messiah Yeshua. All right. For all who are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall again into fear. Rather, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit, or Ruach himself, bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God. And if children also heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Messiah, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. So verses 12 through 17 is talking about the born again or the adopted experience. Um, so we're not we're not no longer slaves. We are sons. So the same spirit that raised Yeshua from the dead resides in us all right verses 14 and 15 i want to review again real quick for all who are led by the spirit of god the ruach elohim are the sons of god for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall again into fear rather you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry abba father so what does the spirit lead us by how does the spirit lead us so, in other words, how can you tell that the Spirit is leading you to do something? Okay, let's say that we're in a church service, and somebody said, and somebody just jumps up and says, "Yaka baka and starts rolling on the floor, then barks like a dog. Is that the Spirit of God? No. 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 Somebody said, "Well, brother, I was just speaking in tongues, and I'm being a holy hound for the Lord." Uh, no, I'm sorry. I, I don't think so. The, the, the Holy Spirit's not going to lead you to do something that's not in the Scripture or that goes against the Scripture. That kind of activity you see happening in India. It's called the Kundalini Spirit. So what does the Spirit lead us by? It leads us by the Torah, God's instructions. So whatever the Holy Spirit tells us to do is going to line up with God's Word. And if it doesn't, it's not the Holy Spirit speaking to you. It's another spirit that's speaking to you. So being led by the Spirit and being led by God's Word, His instructions, is motivated by love. We don't, we don't keep God's Word because we're afraid we're going to be punished for not doing it. We keep God's Word because we love Him and we simply want to because we love Him. So uh, what is the spirit of slavery? The spirit of slavery is sin. The spirit of slavery is sin. And so the spirit of slavery is motivated by fear. And in 1 John 4.18, it says, perfect love casts out all fear. So what's this fear about? The fear is about the consequences and punishment of sin. All right, verse 15. 
For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall again into, a, into fear. Rather, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Now, Abba is not just a great Swedish band. Abba, <laughs> Abba is a Hebrew uh, Aramaic word that's like a term of endearment. So um, I love my dad. And when I was really affectionate towards my dad, I called him daddy. That's what Abba means. Abba means daddy. And I know we get a little, feel a little uncomfortable. We're, we're okay with saying God the Father. God the Father. But we feel a little weird saying, we feel a little weird calling God daddy. But if we love him and we are joint heir with Christ Jesus, we've been adopted into his family. Why can't we call God daddy? It's, a it's, a, it's an intimate term. It's a term of love. It's a term of endearment. Father is more of a respectful term. Daddy is more of an intimate term. Uh, okay. Moving on here. All right, verses 16 and 17. The Ruach himself, or the Spirit himself, bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children also heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Messiah, if indeed we suffer with him, uh, so that we may also be glorified with him. So I've kind of already said this before. We're privy to everything uh, that the resurrected Yeshua is. So power, authority, uh, via his name, because it says in his name, which name represents authority. So if somebody says stop in the name of the law, you're using the authority of the law to stop somebody. So if we tell a demon, get out in Jesus name, get out in the name of Yeshua, his name has the power and the authority to cast out demons. Now, it's funny because uh, you hear about these uh, UFO encounters and people being abducted by gray aliens. The stories you don't hear about are the people who call out to Jesus and those great aliens disappear. Why is that? Because they're not aliens. They're demons. <laughs> Why would some creature from another planet get scared off by a name? It's a demon. And that's to say, I've heard the same thing with, uh, you know, I don't know if you've heard the uh, phenomena of dogmen. They're sort of like werewolves. Um, that people has encountered them hunting at night in the woods or camping. And then they say Yeshua and that thing goes. Same thing with Bigfoot. There's people who have called out to Jesus when they see Bigfoot and Bigfoot disappears. These things are spiritual entities that take on physical form. That move interdimensionally. And they, have, they bow to the authority of Yeshua because they are part spiritual being. They are part fallen entities. So there's a good chance that... You know, the, the dogmen or the Bigfoot and even aliens could be Nephilim. They could, they're part fallen uh, entity, but they're also part physical. All right, that got way off track, but anyway. Uh, okay. So, all right, verse 18. For I consider the suffering of this present time not worthy to be compared with the coming glory to be revealed to us. So suffering due to our identity in Messiah, which is, which is what is being talked about. Because Messiah warned his disciples before he left, you will be hated because of me. You will be hated on account of my name. Uh, all right, verses, let's continue on. 
verse 19, for the creation eagerly awaits the revelation of the sons of God. In other words, for us who are in Christ Jesus to come into our, our, our full fruition of our potential and meaning. For the creation was subject to futility. Okay, so we know that because of Adam and Eve, the world has fallen and the world is degrading. That, that right there should be evidence against evolution. Evolution says that things improve, things evolve. But that's not, what I, that's not what I see in the world. I see things degrading. I see stars exploding because they die. I see people die. I don't see people evolving into something else or even monkeys evolving into something else. I don't see things getting better. I see things getting worse. It's called the second law of thermodynamics. For creation eagerly awaits the revelation of the sons of God, for the creation was subject to futility, not willing, but because of the one who subjected it in hope, that the creation itself also will be set free from the bondage to decay into the glory, glorious freedom of the children of God. Revelation 21 talks about the new heaven and the new earth. So right now, spiritually, everything of, about the fall spiritually has been reversed. We're no longer spiritually dead. We have spiritual life. But we have to wait until Yeshua returns for that physical aspect of the fall to be reversed. Because in Revelation 21, it talks about a new heaven and a new earth where everything is going to revert back to an Edenic type state. Where even the lion is going to lay down with the lamb. The wolf is going to lay down you know, with the sheep. The, the child is going to be able to stick his hand in a cobra hole and not get bit. Okay. Um, verse 22. For we know that the whole creation groans together and suffers birth pains until now. And not only creation, but even ourselves, we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, the Ruach, groan inwardly as we eagerly wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. So there is a principle in Judaism that's called tikkun olam. Tikkun olam means to restore or repair the world. And that is our job and our responsibility to try our best to make this world a better place. Now, we make this world a better place by spreading the gospel, the good news. And in, involved in spreading the good news is not just talking about the plan of salvation, but it's feeding the sick, raising the dead, healing the sick, uh, you know, taking care of the poor. You know, all these things that Christ did, he gave us the power and the authority to do. Now, I'm still learning. I'm not an expert in all this. Um, you know, I can't say that I can I can walk by somebody in my shadow, heal somebody like the Apostle Peter, but I, I did experience a blind man receiving a sight. So I know that it happens. I've heard stories of missionaries where the dead has been raised in the name of Jesus. So stuff like the miracles still happen. Those things still occur. So we are born again to carry out the work of Messiah. Uh, all right, let me read verse uh, 23 once again. And not only creation, but even ourselves, we ourselves who have first, who have the first fruits of the Ruach, the spirit, grown inwardly as we eagerly wait for adoption, the redemption of our body. So um, this is uh, this is kind of a, the first fruit. It talks about first fruit. So it's kind of a picture of the feasts prophetically in, in a certain way. Um, now we know that. In 1 Corinthians 15.20 and Colossians 1.18, it talks about Yeshua being the firstborn from among the dead. He was the template for resurrection. And because he res resurrected from the dead, we too will one day resurrect from the dead. And we already discussed about that uh, earlier. Uh, okay. 
So like I said, we're waiting for the reversal uh, and the restoration of all things, and that we read about in Revelation 21, about the new heaven and the new earth. All right, verses 28 through 30. Now we know that all things work together for good. This is a very famous verse. We probably all have it all memorized. Now we know that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So no matter what sickness, disease, death, or bad things happen to us in this life, we know that eventually it's all going to pan out in the end because we're going to get new bodies. We're going to be resurrected. Things are going to be restored back to that Edenic state, Revelation 21. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Now, I like this story of a rabbi who was uh, traveling, and he had a donkey, he had a lantern, and he had a rooster with him. And uh, so, you know, uh, there was this storm that came up or something of that nature, and he couldn't make it to the city that he wanted to go to, so he had to camp out in the woods just on the outskirts of the city. So in the middle of the night, um, you know, uh, the, the, uh, the donkey ran off, got scared by thunder, lightning, ran off. And because of the uh, thunderstorm and the wind, the lantern went out. And then a hungry fox came out from the woods and killed his chicken, killed his rooster. Well, that's pretty bad. But all things work together for good for them that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. The next morning, the rabbi found out that the city that he was prohibited from going to because of the storm that came up was raided by bandits and everybody in the city was killed. So the storm was a good thing because it scared off the donkey because if the donkey was braying, somebody would have heard that, maybe went out and found the rabbi and killed him. We can't have any witnesses. Same thing with the fox eating the chicken or the rooster. Same thing with the wind blowing out the light. If you saw a light, out, oh, there's somebody camping out there. They may be witness to what we just did and they would have killed the rabbi. So bad things, things that appear bad may actually be good. Sometimes we don't know it. Yes. Right. So even when bad things happen to us, we got to trust that God has a plan in that. That there's, and we may not even under totally understand it. This side of heaven. Okay. All right. So, verse twenty-nine. For those whom he foreknew. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, so that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those whom he predestined, he also called, and whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. All right, you got this big debate between the Arminianist and the Calvinist. You know, the Arminianist. Uh, you know, believe that you can forfeit your salvation. The Calvinists believe once saved, always saved. They believe that God has predestined some to automatically go to heaven and some to go to hell. I don't buy that. I don't believe that. I think it is a misinterpretation of what we just read. So the big question is, what is who is the elect? Who is those that are predestined? So the elect means somebody has been chosen. Predestined means that somebody has already been pre predetermined. There's only one group of people that has been predestined and elect, and that's Israel. They are called the chosen people because God chose them as his special treasure out of all nations. Does that mean that Israel gets a get-out-of-jail-free card? No, that's not what that means. It just means that they are God's chosen people. So 
Paul, remember, he's writing to Jewish congregations that have an influx of Gentiles coming in. So it's a mixed bag. So the elect or the predestined, it says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his son so that they might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Paul says that the message of salvation is to the Jew first, then to the Greek. Because ever since Genesis 3, 315, God had a plan to redeem his people. And that was to bring Messiah Yeshua, to make the Israelites like Messiah Yeshua. Verse 30, and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. So the plan of salvation was first and foremost for the children of Israel. But thanks to Acts chapter 15 and the revelation that, that uh, God gave Peter, because remember when Peter was praying on the roof and he had that vision of the prayer shawl, that sheet being uh, 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 taken down from heaven with all these unclean animals in it, people say, oh, well, that's the change of the dietary laws. Nope. Sorry. Wrong answer. Play again. That vision had nothing to do with the dietary laws. If you read it and interpret it that way, it's just wonky and out of place in the whole narrative of the Acts story. But it makes perfect sense when you realize that these unclean animals represented Gentiles. Because Gentiles were considered unclean to Jews. They didn't go and buddy-buddy over at their house or didn't go out to eat with them. They stayed separate. So when Peter was having this vision, you know, God was challenging him. says, arise, Peter, kill and eat. He's like, no way, Lord. I've never ate anything unclean. So Peter has in mind, what are you talking about these animals for? Because he could just think about food. But when a knock came on the door and there were some Gentiles waiting for him saying, hey, Peter, we want you to come to our house and, and preach. Well, under normal circumstances, Peter was said, uh, you know, I'm flattered, but no, I can't do that. But he just had that revelation. He just had that vision from God about the unclean animals. And he said, you know what? The Lord just revealed to me that I'm not to consider anybody unclean. So that vision was dealing with people and the inclusion of Gentiles into the faith it had nothing to do with the dietary laws. Peter also had to defend himself against, uh, of the apostles because they're like, hey, Peter, what's this we hear you hanging out with Gentiles? You know we don't do that. Well, let me tell you what vision I had. So he even reiterated this vision and gave the interpretation to the apostles saying it had to do with people and not food. Uh, okay. So who is predestined? Who is the elect? Israel, the chosen people. And all those who attached themselves to her. Because there was that mixed multitude that came out of Egypt. And God said to those mixed multitude, there's going to be one law for the, for the Israeli and for the sojourner that travels among Israel. I'm not going to play favorites. There's not one set of laws for this group and one set of laws for that group. You all have the same laws. So anybody who joins themselves to the chosen people, these laws apply. So who is predestined, who is elect? Israel and those who, who link themselves to Israel. Uh, to the Jew first, also to the Greek. So second of all, predestined and the elect, it deals with human beings. Now, you know, can, can your dog go to church, make its way down to the altar and bow down to the altar and say, Lord, I want to ask Jesus to come into my heart and be my Lord and Savior. Can a dog get saved? No, because Jesus didn't come to die for a dog. He came to die for human beings. And so we know that in Genesis 6, the fallen angels cohabitated with the daughters of men to create giants, Nephilim. They're hybrid, half angel, half human. They're outside of God's creation. Therefore, they can't get saved. 
They're not redeemable. So who is predestined? Who is elect? The human race, not the giant race. They are not. They they're predestined for hell, because once their bodies perished in the flood, their spirits are now floating around, and it's who we call demons today. The disembodied spirits of the giants. And one day they're going to be cast into the lake of fire, according to Revelation, with the devil and uh, the rest of the angels, the fallen angels. Okay. Uh, All right, moving on. Verse 28. Now we know that all... Okay, I already read that. So we don't have to go over that again. It's just rehashing. Okay, let's move to verses 31. What then shall we say in view of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us. How shall we not also with him freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Is it God who, uh, is, it is God who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? It is Messiah who died and moreover was raised and now at the right hand of God and also intercedes for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Messiah? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep for slaughter. But in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is, that is in Messiah Yeshua our Lord. Okay. So basically we don't have to worry about any of these dark forces. They're created. They, they are not omniscient, omnipotent, or omnipresent. They're finite. Their power is limited. So God's power always trumps any other power in the universe. So we don't have to worry about these fallen entities. Now, we know that these fallen entities, especially Satan, is going to come against us. He's called, uh, in Revelation 12.10, the accuser of the brethren. Now, I had an interesting experience. I walked in on an exorcism. And uh, my rabbi at the time was dealing with this one lady and was trying to exercise this demon. And I walked in, and all of a sudden that lady kind of slinked up, looked over, and nobody was home. I mean, you could tell that that lady wasn't there. There was something else inside her. And you know what she said? It's all your fault. I just walked in here. What's my fault? The accuser of the brethren. It's my fault. Whatever, it's my fault. And I responded, no, it is not my fault, accuser of the brethren. Oh, that ticked that entity off. That entity, there was a decorative sword in the synagogue. That, that lady grabbed that sword and was coming towards me, and I thought, oh, crap. <laughs> I'm going to have to, I can't show any fear. i got to stand firm. So I just said, in Yeshua's name, you're not going to do anything to me. And she just, she had that sword, and she couldn't move it anymore. She was just froze right there. Little interesting story about the accuser of the brethren, though. But Jesus, Yeshua, is like our defense attorney. I want to read to you an interesting passage in the Old Testament uh, that a lot of people uh, don't know about or don't read. And it's in Zechariah. If I can find Zechariah here. 
Uh, these tabs are supposed to help you, but sometimes they don't. Zechariah. Maybe somebody can find it faster than I can. Zechariah. Zechariah. Here it is. Zechariah. Okay. Zechariah chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Then he showed me Joshua, the Kohen Hagadol, the high priest, standing before the angel of Adonai and Satan, standing at his right hand to accuse him. So it's a picture of a courtroom, a heavenly courtroom. So you have um, the, the angel of Adonai, which is another name for the, the angel of the Lord, is another name for Yeshua before he was born, pre-incarnate. So you have Yeshua basically standing uh, standing at his side, and then Satan also standing at his side, but he's accusing him. So it's like Yeshua, the angel of the Lord, is the defense attorney, and Satan is the prosecutor. He's the, he's the accuser. So it says, verse 2, And Adonai said to Satan, Adonai rebukes you, Satan. Indeed, Adonai, who has chosen Jerusalem, rebukes you. Is not this man a brand plucked out of the fire? Now Joshua was wearing filthy garments and standing before the angel, who answered and spoke to those standing before him, saying, Remove the filthy garments from him. Then to Joshua he said, See, I have removed your iniquity from you, and will dress you in fine clothes. Then I said, Place a clean turban on his head. So they put a pure turban on his head and clothed him with garments, while the angel of the Lord stood by. So it, you see kind of a picture of a heavenly courtroom. Where Satan is always to accuse. Now, this may sound a little weird, but whenever Satan accuses you, it's best to plead guilty. And you're like, really? Yeah, it's best to plead guilty. Because it doesn't matter what he accuses you of. Just say, yeah, sure, I'm guilty. Why? Because you got somebody that's going to, to re redeem you. You have somebody standing at your side that's going to forgive you of whatever Satan accuses you of. And says that you're guilty of. So it doesn't matter what he says that you're guilty of or it's your fault. It doesn't matter. Because Yeshua is going to pay our debt. He's going to pay our fine. He's going to redeem us. He put clean clothes on filthy Joshua. And he's going to take the filthy, sinful minstrel rags that we're clothed in before we're saved and put clean linen garments of righteousness on us that we don't deserve. So Yeshua is, our, is the star attorney that's going to win the case for us every single time. And it frustrates us because our defense mechanism is saying, no, I'm not guilty. No, it's not my fault. No. That's our, that, that's our uh, you know, we want to defend ourselves. Nobody wants to be wrong. But it's easier just no matter what he says to plead guilty. Say, okay, whatever, Satan. Yeah, yeah, I'm guilty. But guess what? I got my defense attorney who's going to prove me righteous. You know, he's going to make things right. Okay, uh, did we cover everything here? i got to go back to Romans. I lost my place in Romans chapter 8. Just double-checking, make sure that... Okay, yep, all right, I think I covered it. Let's go ahead and uh, close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your word. We want to thank you for our salvation. A salvation that we don't deserve. That Yeshua took on our sin debt and paid it in full for us. It would have taken an eternity in hell for us to pay. 
and your word says that you, that you don't desire that any should perish, but all should come to repentance, and that hell was not made for mankind, but for the devil and his angels. So, Lord, you want to keep us out from that. So you sent Yeshua to satisfy your demand for holiness and justice. And so he's taken our place. He was our substitute. He took the punishment upon ourself. He paid our debt. He paid our fine. And we see that shining clearly in Romans chapter 8. And we thank you and we praise you for that. We thank you that our old man is dead, that we have power over the Yetzer Hara, the evil inclination, through the born-again man, through the regenerated man, through the good inclination, through the Yetzer uh, Tov. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that uh, guides us into all truth and encourage us to do what is right and what is good. We thank you for the power that the Holy Spirit uh, has in us. It's that same Spirit that raised Yeshua from the dead, the same Spirit that uh, we have the power and the authority through Yeshua's name and blood to cast out demons, to raise the dead, to heal the sick. We're still feeling that out and learning all about uh, learning all about that. We still don't know how to do half that stuff, Lord, but we know it's true, and we've seen it done, we've heard it done from others that have gone before us. So, Lord, help us to be and do all that you want us and have us to be. Forgive us of our sins and our failures and our shortcomings, and we love you and we praise you. We ask these things in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen.